Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Legge from London. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already and please share widely with others as well. It makes a huge difference indeed. Today we are talking about the climate crisis and we have two wonderful guests, Baroness Helene Heyman of the UK House of Lords and Senator Mary Coyle of the Canadian Senate two parliamentarians from the UK's and Canada's upper houses of parliament. We're going to be learning about Peers for the Planet, which is the House of Lords Climate and Biodiversity Action Group, launched in 2020, and how they are tackling climate change in the House of Lords and engaging with a broad range of stakeholders. And we will also look at international knowledge sharing between the UK's and Canada's upper houses of parliament, which I personally find fascinating. We'll have great insight into how different upper houses of parliament are taking action and learning from each other. For anyone who's interested in driving forward legislative change to tackle the climate crisis and fostering international collaboration in this field, this episode will be of particular interest to you. Now, before we kick things off, I'd like to extend a heartfelt thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI. Quilt AI is an artificial intelligence-powered consumer insights and market research platform. They currently work with approximately 100 clients, ranging from large corporates such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Visa, to technology companies such as Twitter and Amazon, and large philanthropic organizations such as the Gates Foundation, the World Bank, Girl Effect, the UN, and Children's Investment Fund Foundation. With 6 million data sources and hundreds of AI models, they're able to answer any consumer or beneficiary research problem across more than 90 countries. And in 2019, their mission-based technology approach led to The Economist calling them an AI for good company. So do check them out at quilt.ai. And without further ado, Helene and Mary, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you. Thank you, Alberto. Wonderful. Why don't we start by learning a little bit about Peers for the Planet? What's that initiative all about? Okay. Um, About a couple of years ago, I started thinking about how many people there were in the House of Lords who were really interested in, concerned about what was happening to our planet Mm. in terms of climate change and biodiversity loss. But while there was a small group of people who were really expert about this, knew what the policy should be, were talking, trying to get government to move, there were a lot more of us who knew that there was a problem, but weren't absolutely certain about what the solutions were. And we thought if we could get that group of people together, with a shared commitment to making progress. And we could help and support them by getting them really good information, by laying on meetings with experts in the field, because there's a huge raft of civil society out there and academics and people in business who really want to get this thing done uh, and, and to make a difference. That if we could act as a bridge, and use the position that we have in Parliament, and particularly in an upper chamber where things are rather different from the representation by population lower chamber, then we could make an impact. And I guess I came to it mainly out of my children and now grandchildren and worrying about their future. 
and just feeling that it was incumbent on me. I had a responsibility to use the position that I'm lucky enough to have within the UK Parliament to try and do something. How are you finding it so far? So it's a relatively young initiative, 2020. We find ourselves actually in the middle of a pandemic. We have COP26 as well. There's many things going on. Everybody wants to build back better. The environment seems front and center. Love to hear a little bit about how things are going so far. Are your, um, are your expectations being met? Actually, it's been really, really great. We found straight away about 50 people who said, yes, they were interested in forming that sort of group. Um, we found some money because that was important. If we're going to lay on the sort of services and really good research uh, base for people to speak from, then we needed good staff. And so we went out. Um, uh, one of my sons is active in climate philanthropy, in touch with some funders. And funders thought this is a great idea because they were funding lots of civil society groups to write to members of parliament all the time. And in a way, uh, it's sort of cutting out the middleman in terms of the funding and actually coming direct to parliamentarians uh, and using us to be a bridge for those civil societies. So then we started thinking, well, what do we do? And there are lots of, uh, of levers that parliamentarians have. So they can hold government to account by asking ministers questions, by pressing them, by having debates. But we're legislators and there's legislation going through all the time. And so we started being active and putting amendments down on legislation and putting amendments down on legislation that people didn't think related to climate. So we have net zero legislation, the Climate Change Act in the UK, but then we find ourselves having a pensions bill coming mm. in Parliament that has no mention of climate. So I, who know even less about pensions than I know about <laughs> climate change, find myself introducing amendments and getting the government to change that legislation so that regulators demand that trustees of pension funds take into account climate risk appropriately. So we started that sort of work. We were really helped because we invited David Attenborough to come and speak and he came and spoke and we had a great sort of launch event. And now we're 130 people. We have had successes on other legislation. We are holding two or three seminars a week. We have four members of staff and we're doing a bit of outreach international work, which is how I came to meet Mary. Excellent. Yes. I'd really like to find out a little bit about that outreach um, to, to, to Mary out in Canada. And how did that happen in the first instance? And what's that looking like now? Well, shall I kick off, Mary, and then yes. over to you? I think one of the criticisms that we got was, oh, why are you bothering with all this detail in the UK? The UK is a bit player in this. You have to act globally. Other, other countries have to be involved. 
this this is the pushback you get that we treat our citizens very strictly. Uh, meanwhile, the rest of the world is polluting and you'll never do anything unless you get everyone involved. So while I still absolutely believe that it's really important that you that we use the power of our example, to use President Biden's phrase, and that we we can't lecture other people what to do unless we do things ourselves and we innovate and we find the right way to do things. It's absolutely true that the UK on their own can't deliver and save the world from, from the climate crisis. So we started thinking, where could we find some allies? And, you know, I can't go and affect the policy of the government of China from the British House of Lords, but I can go and talk to the Canadian Senate, a Commonwealth country, close links to the UK and an upper chamber, where, again, I should say cross-party working has been really, really important for us. The fact that within, within the House of Lords, you can get a coalition across all the parties and you can actually defeat the government that way or persuade the government that way, uh, which is much easier to do than it is in, in the House of Commons. And, and that tends to be true. All, all upper chambers are different, but it tends to be true. So we started putting some feelers out um, and both through organisations like the Commonwealth Parliamentary Association and bilateral feelers. Um, so we've had conversations with the Australians uh, and we've had conversations with the US Senate. But I have to say the most fruitful conversations have been with Mary and her, her colleagues in, in the Canadian Senate. Wonderful. Mary, what's been your experience then? Well, uh, I'm just delighted uh, to be mentored by Helene and uh, her colleagues at Peers for the Planet. I'm also, uh, you know, kind of humbled that they've taken such an interest in us. Uh, so what, what's happened here in, in Canada um, with the Canadian Senate? Yeah, I'm a relatively new senator. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a new Senate appointment process in Canada where we apply to be senators and we are vetted by a, an independent body and then, you know, lists of names are suggested, of course, to the Prime Minister and the Governor General uh, and then we're appointed. So all of the new appointees and, and actually now the majority of senators in the Senate of Canada uh, are appointed as uh, independent, non-affiliated senators. The others who are still in the Senate from, uh, you know, prior to this relatively new process, you know, form different groups. So we have the uh, Conservative Caucus in the Senate, which is a caucus of 20 people out of a total of uh, 105, uh, if, we are, if we have the full Senate complement there. Uh, we have the former Liberals, which were part of the Liberal Caucus, but they've, they're now independent. They, they've started their own group, uh, and we have a couple of other groups in the Senate. But most of us are now uh, non-affiliated or independent senators. So, that, so there's a very different environment in the Senate of Canada from what you would have found even five years ago, actually. Right. Uh, when I came to the Senate of Canada, um, 
you know, I came from an international development, rural development, community development, women's leadership, uh, microfinance, uh, you know, the, the world that I think you probably know fairly well from your philanthropic work, uh, Alberto. Uh, I don't have, like Helene, uh, I don't have a background in uh, climate change, in the environment, uh, in environmental sustainability. I've always been, of course, interested in it uh, and felt it was important. And as a new senator, I just sort of watched and listened and saw, well, you know, what, what are the big issues we're dealing with here? And what are the big issues in Canada and the world? And, I'm, and, and so where am I going to fit in this new actually chapter an opportunity in my life to make a difference in the world. And uh, I think Helene spoke about that as well. I too am a mother. I'm a grandmother. I have seven grandchildren. Um, and, uh, you know, in Canada, you know, I'm speaking to you from Mi'kma'ki. Okay, Mi'kma'ki is the ancestral lands of the Mi'kmaq people. Uh, the original people of the east coast of Canada. Uh, you know, I'm on the Atlantic uh, side of, of, uh, of our our vast country, which has, as you know, three coasts, the West Coast, the East Coast, and the coast that goes all the way around the north of the country. Uh, our Indigenous people believe in any actions we take, you must think seven generations out into the future. How will what we are doing today impact those seven generations into the future? So that's an influence on me personally. I'm on the Aboriginal People's Committee of the Senate. I'm on the Foreign Affairs Committee of the Senate. And I was on the Arctic Committee of the Senate. It was a special committee on the Arctic. Canada has a very special role to play in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. It's an imperative and it's an opportunity. It's how I, how I see it. Um, it. It's an imperative, you know, because the Arctic, Canadian Arctic, which is actually the, the largest uh, part of our landmass in Canada, is actually warming two to three times faster than the rest of the world, right? Uh, and you, most people around the world don't know this, but really the Arctic is the air conditioner for the world. And as, as, as the permafrost melts and as the Arctic ice melts, we lose this ability to reflect the sun's rays back, right? And so there's we, we, we so then we absorb the earth absorbs more of the sun heat, etc. I won't go into all, all of that. So so Canada is uniquely positioned. Um, so here I am in the Senate of Canada, relatively new, um, seeing what's being talked about. Very little talked about, uh, to be honest, on climate. Some, but very very little. And it surprised me, actually, given that an election, uh, you know, in the last two elections in Canada, climate was a central uh, priority for the for the party that got in. Uh, so I was surprised that we didn't see much of that in, in the Senate. We, have, we deal with so many issues, right? Today, I'm writing a speech on conversion therapy. You know, I'm also following our new uh, Net Zero Accountability Act and preparing a speech on that. We're working on uh, legislation uh, to bring in the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. So there's a lot of really important things going on. But, well, what could we do to kind of cut through this? So last year, 
uh, just after Peers for the Planet, I didn't know about Peers for the Planet yet, uh, I launched an inquiry in the Senate um, to get the conversation going on the right pathways for Canada to meet its net zero emissions targets. Okay, here's what we said. We here's what we promised at Paris. Okay, and here's what we promised in Madrid. So, what are we doing about it? Because we've never met a target yet in in, in Canada, and I don't think we're alone in, in the world. But we're it, really it's we're laggards. So, so let's get this conversation going, and let me try and frame it in a way that it's not partisan, it's not East and West, because we don't want it to be, you know, the East Coast or Central Canada against Western Canada, where most of the oil and gas is. Uh, you know, let, let's talk about this. It's something we need to figure out together. Uh, so, so I did that. Of course, COVID came along. We, we had several people speak, several more lined up to speak. And we had hoped to have some citizens assemblies leading up to COP26, which was supposed to be last year, as you know. Uh, COVID, uh, well, that didn't happen, uh, but a lovely thing did happen. Uh, and Helene Heyman and uh, Bryony Worthington from uh, Peers for the Planet called up and said, we heard about your inquiry, Mary. Uh, and, and he, so that's how it happened. Okay, that's interesting, right? Yeah, and, and here's what we're doing. What are you doing? Uh, and uh, I said, well, let's talk about what we can do together. And so I prepared a a speech for Earth Day this year, and Earth Day, uh, which a lot of people don't know, but I didn't know either until I did my research, was started by an American senator 51, 51 years ago, an American senator who reached across parties and, uh, and had a Republican uh, representative from the House join him to start Earth Day. 51 years ago. And I thought, okay, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk just the sort of just the sort of bipartisanship we see today. Exactly. It, it, well, well, not so much in the US, you're right. But it's what people aspire to, or what many people aspire to see. And the call from Helene came at a good time. Uh, and so I pitched in my speech uh, last month, that we also in in uh, in the Canadian Senate form our own uh, climate action group of senators. We don't have a title, a cool title like Peers for the Planet yet. One of my colleagues, Senator Kucher, has proposed a, a name that works in English, but in Canada, we have to work in English and French. Mm -hmm. So SOS, we thought about SOS, Senators on Sustainability, but uh, in, in French, uh, sustainability is durabilité, so it's not quite working. So we're working on a cool name. So here we are, we've been tutored uh, by our colleagues from Peers for the Planet. Um, we have now uh, 20 uh, Canadian senators who have said, yes, we want to be part of this. Uh, we're reaching out to each of the groups in the Senate and have uh, representatives sort of leading the charge in each of the groups in the Senate to uh, invite their, uh, their fellow members to this table, which is meant to be like Peers for the Planet, a big tent where there is space for everybody and different uh, opinions on the best ways to get to net zero, but a common goal in getting to net zero uh, in, in, the, in the time frame, in, in a hurry, quite frankly. And of course, like everyone concerned right now, we're looking at what's Canada going to do and say it's going to do at COP26 in Glasgow. And so we're talking with Peers for the Planet and, and others internationally about how can we work together with our governments 
to align our efforts to really uh, put something bold uh, and and practically doable together for those commitments to be made at COP26. So that's where we are. Excellent. Sounds fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I'd love to find out from both of you in terms of, well, the dynamics in the upper chambers are different. You know, you're not facing an election cycle uh, every so often. You, you have more independence. I think arguably there's much more bipartisanship or cross-party cr- cross interaction. Give us a little bit of a flavor, I guess, from from both sides, um, on on what that means for your ability to to drive forward change, which I think uh, gives you a little bit more independence, perhaps a little bit more boldness. I think that's right. Um, certainly, in the House of Lords, there are an awful lot of people who are past ambition, and being past ambition in terms of personally going up the political pole is really important for having a lot of ambition about what you can achieve. Um, And we've found, it's absolutely right, because the government has no majority in the House of Lords, then it it only succeeds there um, in the first instance if it can persuade. And you can assemble a coalition um that potentially defeats it now it doesn't defeat it in the long term because we're not an elected house things go back to the house of commons they get overturned but often because we do the line by line scrutiny of legislation if you can get that coalition of people from different parties because the opposition alone can't defeat the government it has to be uh, a cross-party grouping. If you can do that, uh, then you can be really effective. Um, so I think that that is crucial, and it tends to be even in in a parliament like ours, which is predominantly has party political people in the upper chamber. Uh, it still works that way, um, and. For goodness sake, climate is an issue that is not subject to the normal left-right divisions of politicians. Um, It is absolutely above that and greater than that. And that's recognised in the facts of the way in which people are concerned about it. I think Mary said something really important when... She said that the the key to success, and I didn't get this, didn't analyze it until after we'd we'd done it, is not to be dogmatic about solutions. Mm -hmm. Is to get people to come together with a very clear focus on tackling the issue and being willing to commit the resources to support the innovation to give the information, to put in the government carrots and sticks and regulation and and all and taxation, all the different elements. Um, but if you start with something like, do you support nuclear or are you anti-nuclear, you immediately start dividing people and on much, much more abstruse issues. And we've all seen in our political lives people who fundamentally agree with each other 
actually being in organisations that fall apart mm. and go into little groups who debate small differences the whole time and uh, break off from each other and, and lose their power. So I think being, we don't ask of our members that they ascribe to policies one to 10 of the organization. What we say is, are you committed to fighting biodiversity loss and the climate crisis? And do you want to do something effective about that? And that means that you can have members who are interested in different areas. So some people are interested in nature-based solutions and some people are interested in pensions and finance, as I, as I say. Or you can have some people who have very different views about priorities or about a particular issue about wind power or the, the right way forward. But we can we can cope with that. We can absolutely cope with that. Um, there's enough work to be done for all of us. And there's a needs to be enough humility to understand that we're not there yet. I've been at a seminar this morning about the contribution that homes and domestic heating makes to greenhouse gases. And we don't know how to decarbonize heating yet. We don't know what the role of hydrogen will be or how we get rid of gas boilers, how we can make them more effective. We don't have all the technical fixes yet. So we mustn't be uh, in, into ideological straitjackets about this. And I think that's why we have managed to succeed as a group, even though there are people with different opinions on different issues. And we've succeeded with government because we've been cross-party and, you know, at the back of all this has been the knowledge of government ministers that we could make life difficult for them, <laughs> which is always useful to have. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Backdrop. And Mary, in terms of the dynamics out there in, in, in Canada and the Senate of Canada, you finding um, that it affords you certain levers that you can, you can use to, to drive forward change? Yes, uh, definitely. I mean, we, we like the, as with the case of the House of Lords, you know, we are not affected by electoral cycles, right? Uh, it's, it's very likely Canada will have a federal election this year, probably this fall, uh, once we are all double vaccinated, hopefully. Uh, and uh, of course, you know, if you are an elected politician and a member of the House of Commons, you know, you're thinking about that next election. Uh, and unfortunately, unlike the UK, uh, I would say that the level of political maturity, perhaps you would call it, around the climate issue is not quite there yet. Uh, it is still partisan, uh, but I see that it's becoming less partisan. And I think it's becoming less partisan because the Canadian population is saying, come on, uh, particularly young Canadians are, are saying, 
come on, we've got to address this and we've got to address this in a serious way. And, you know, we've just seen the Conservative Party of Canada, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, for the first time uh, come out uh, in favor of putting a price on carbon. So, so that's a that's a that's a big a big change. So I think we're we're on a we're on a good pathway. Nobody should own the climate agenda. It's it should not be a liberal, conservative, new democratic, green party, etc., Bloc Québécois, ish, uh, you know, ownership issue. It should be, uh, as as Helene has described it in the UK, it's above all of that. And uh, so the Senate of Canada can play a role. Because we have this longer horizon, uh, you know, in terms of our, our terms as senators, I am a senator, if I choose to be, until age 75, not four years until the next election. So there is that time horizon, which is, which is a good one. You have people, as Helene has described, who want to make a difference, you know, and it's not about building themselves up. It's about really genuinely making a difference in the lives of the people in our country and for the future of, of course, of course, uh, of our of our land and our seas and our and our and our atmosphere. So people are very concerned about that. So it, it is a logical moment, and and it's interesting. I had a conversation with the Minister of Environment and Climate Change here in Canada last week. Uh, he was interested in what we were doing. Excellent. <laughs> he called me, <laughs> <laughs> which might not have happened if we didn't have this group. But one thing we talked about is the how the changing role of the Senate of Canada, and particularly this climate action group, could become, in a lot of ways, the tail that wags the dog. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, mm-hmm. of course, we are not the elected house, and we have to respect the will of the elected house, which res- which represents the will of the people who put those people there. But we do have a lot of very wise people. We have resources. We have time. We have our processes where we study uh, important matters very intensively. Uh, and so we have a lot to offer to that process where we, be- I certainly believe that it has to be in all of society. Uh, effort to get us on a track towards sust- a sustainable future for our planet, to get to that net zero emissions target for 2030, the initial one for 2030, and then the ultimate one, uh, the the target, the the absolute net zero target for 2050. Right. So, so we can play a role, and uh, and I think uh, people get excited when they see it as opportunity to work together across groups, as, as, uh, as uh, Helene has said, and actually make a difference. That's what we want to do. Uh, and that's why we're so impressed. That's why I'm, cer- I'm certainly so impressed with Peers for the Planet. They're not just talking. They are talking and they are learning, and that's a very important part of this equation, but they're acting. And they are, they've had some practical wins People like to be associated with success, right? No matter what that success is, they want to. If they're going to jump on a new bandwagon, they want to make sure that bandwagon is going somewhere that's going to make a difference. 
And I believe that what Peers for the Planet has done is a really excellent role model. We will create our own version of that because Canada is different. Our politics is different. Our chambers are different. But we're a Westminster Parliament, too. And, uh, and I believe we are stronger, as Helene has said, if we work collaboratively. As I mentioned, I'm on the Foreign Affairs Committee. You know, several of my colleagues from the Foreign Affairs Committee are interested in joining this group because, of course, they're interested in climate change in Canada, but they're interested in Canada's role in the world. You know, what's our role in helping developing nations, for instance, uh, achieve their uh, climate targets, right? Exactly. Highly consequential. Uh, now, our listeners can't see what I'm seeing, but I can see both of you very clearly here in my Zoom link and this abundant energy that I know comes through on the audio, but it's still, I can see a little bit more and I can really see that energy in both of you. And so I'd love to find out a little bit about how you got to where you are today, why you're, why you're using your platform right now to drive this forward. Uh, I know we don't have enough time. It's a little bit unfair to ask you both, but I'm just genuinely curious. How did you get to where you are today? I'm pretty old, so it's quite, it's quite a long time to tell you. I was pretty young when I was first in politics. I was in the House of Commons when I was 25. I was the youngest member of the House of Commons, and I was out of the House of Commons when I was 30, um, you know, on, on electoral cycles. And I had a long time, I had a very long career break. I brought up four children. I did lots of stuff um, and school governing and the health service and all those things. And then I went into the House of Lords um, and I've been very lucky because when I went in was the time when Tony Blair came in for his first administration and I was a minister and I was a minister in, in three departments. Um, at the end of that, something fantastic happened to me, which I thought would be my, my last job, was we changed the way in which um, the House of Lords was governed. We changed the role of the Lord Chancellor. This, this is very boring. This is a podcast on its own about <laughs> separation of powers in the UK. But all you need to know is that we elected a speaker for the House of Lords for the first time ever. Uh, and I stood in that election and I got elected. And I had a fantastic five years as the first elected speaker of the House of Lords. Um, and I, I really thought in many ways, you know, that was fantastic and I was getting on a bit and that's it. But this, this is for me, my last big job, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's something really, much more important than anything else I've ever done in my life. And I can't, you know, I'm, I'm not the scientist or the financier or the entrepreneur uh, who can produce solutions, uh, who can tell me how we replace however many million gas-fired boilers in houses. But I do know my way around the House of Lords. So what I feel is that having been in politics a long time, I can apply what I have learned to this topic, this campaign. Um, and I, I think 
I think the two best things, I mean, it's been great when we have, as Mary said, actually had real change and we've changed legislation or we've changed policy uh, and, and we can really say to, to you, to our funders, to young people, we've done this. But two of the things that excite me most is one domestic, which is that within the House of Lords, we now have something called Peers for Development, cross-party group that they have modelled on Peers for the Planet, um, on international development. And there we have Mary, who will be overtaking Peers for the Planet in Canada with this powerhouse for change. So, you know, it's a little bit back to my the power of example um, mm. issue that it's wonderful and we will continue and we're overwhelmed with work to do on all the sectors um, within our own workload. But equally, if you can leverage what you do into other areas or other jurisdictions, um, then that is fantastically mm. Well, thanks for sharing that. I mean, I think um, it's 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 really inspiring to hear that this is so important. You know, the, the most important thing that you've done, um, because it is obviously very very much the case. And Mary, your journey a little bit. What uh, what does that look like? Very different from Helene's. <laughs> Not at all engaged in uh, partisan politics. Uh, you know, my my uh, career. Uh, I've already told you I'm a I'm a mom uh, and a grandmom, uh, and I have I, I'm a lover of nature. Okay, so I think that's probably a big part of it. You know, I was swimming in the lake last night, and I'll be swimming at the beach later today. Hopefully, I am. Uh, I've already been out for. Uh, an hour and a half walk early this morning. Uh, I am a person who enjoys the outdoors very much. So that's, that's a driver. Career-wise, you know, I uh, have been involved in uh, international development and have lived, I've lived and worked in different countries. I lived and worked in France. I, I lived and worked in Botswana. I lived and worked in Indonesia. I have worked internationally from a Canadian base for decades. I have run organizations. Um, like many people in the Senate of Canada, we all come out of uh, leadership in, in different uh, spheres. Uh, very few of us now actually come from the political background. And actually, that's a, that is something that I want to make sure we have in our climate action group in the Senate of Canada. People with that political savvy mm. uh, are critical. The rest of us probably knew how to and know how to make things happen in the various uh, realms that we were working in before we came to the Senate of Canada. It is very important to have people like Helene who know the machinations of Parliament and who can help guide the rest of us who 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 have you know the good intentions and have other things to offer. But that that uh, political savvy is very very valuable. So. I'm an optimist, a, a positive person like Helene. I think I, of course, am. I'm horrified by what's happening with our planet. 
But as you heard me say, I see a big opportunity. I see a big opportunity uh, in terms of what Canada can do to turn things around and become a leader and an innovator in uh, the various pathways to net zero. And I'm also really optimistic uh, about the uh, resource that my colleagues in the Senate of Canada collectively are and can be as a you know powerful, I think a really powerful vehicle for positive influence on Canada's climate future and on the climate future of the world. Mm. And Mary, you have a key takeaway for our listeners. What's what, what would be that one thing you'd love for them to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? I believe the one takeaway is that power, influence, and potential that parliamentarians, particularly in our case, the Senate of Canada, can have when we work together towards this common goal of getting to net zero greenhouse gas emissions, ultimately by the year 2050, hopefully before then, we will have really made history and we will have a planet for our children and grandchildren. Here, here. Helene, key takeaway from your side? Well, amen to all of that. Um, and and absol absolutely agree the, the, the message about how important it is for parliamentarians. But I guess the takeaway for non-parliamentarians uh -huh. for me is for all of us to do what we can with our resources and in our context. Um, because it can seem overwhelming and it can seem, well, I'm not a member of the House of Lords, so how do I make a difference? You know, you make a difference a hundred times a day in your personal behaviors. Um, and we all, have our places in society, um, in our workplace, in our family, whatever we do. So I guess it, it's not to think that there are experts doing all this. This is something that affects everybody. And all of us not only have to take some responsibility, but also have to think about how we can contribute and what we can bring to the party. I love it. I really do. Here is to your success on both sides of the Atlantic, uh, Peers for the Planet, and whatever the name ends up being in Canada, whether that's Senate, Senators on Sustainability or, or something else, it has been a learning experience from me, and it's really heartening to see, um, well, to see both of you, to speak both of you, and to hear about what you're doing and your initiative and your bipartisanship and uh, collaboration and outreach to other countries as well. Uh, Helene and Mary, really, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, so thank you for taking the time to, uh, to share your story with us. Wonderful to meet thank you. Thank you for being interested. Yes, thanks so much. Take care. Bye, Alberto. Perfect, and that's a wrap. Please visit our website at ligi.org for a full transcript of today's conversation, where you will also find information on 100 other interviews with remarkable thought leaders. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already. Please share widely with others, and I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.